Hello and welcome to the Podagogy Podcast, the podcast that aims to bridge the gap between teaching, coaching and all things pedagogy. On this episode, I'm joined by Carl Wilde. Carl is a coach, lecturer, coach developer and published author. On this pod, we talked about coaching coaches, working across different age phases and being an intelligent soccer coach, which is also the title of Carl's first book. Thank you for joining us and I hope you enjoy. Paul, good morning, Carl. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining me today. Um, morning, Paul. Uh, thanks for having me on. No, no, definitely. I mean, so I think firstly, I mean personally, I'm interested just to hear a bit about yourself, um, kind of your your story, if you like, and and what you're up to now, and uh, everything kind of leading up to that point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of me coaching journey, this, this might take a little bit of time, but I'll get through it as quick as I can. Um, so I didn't, didn't really start getting into it until late twenties, early thirties. Um, and just like a number of other people across the country, um, one of my children wanted to get involved in it. It was my son at the time. So he was, he's around about six, seven years of age, took him down to a local grassroots club and he, he started there and within a couple of weeks that they were looking for people to, to support and help out. So, um, volunteered to do that, which was happy to do. I just thought it would just be something that I just just did a, on a weekend and one night in the evening, never really thought about it much and just carried on my normal working life and my normal family life. But then after a while, really started enjoying it. Um, obviously, I'd played football uh, in, in my own youth, not, not to any level at all, just for a local grassroots team. Um, but really started enjoying the coaching, enjoyed working with the kids, enjoyed seeing the reaction you get off the kids in terms of them turning up at after school and getting to run around on a pitch with the mates and so forth, this was really great. So I just thought I'd delve into it a little bit more. Uh, so just started doing some some qualifications with the FA and so forth. Uh, got, got me level one, obviously, just straight away. And then went on and did me level two. Um, and then once I did that, that's when I realised maybe it's something I could do a little bit more. So just started playing about a little bit and just seeing how good I was at it in terms of whether I thought it was feasible to, 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 to go into in, in terms of maybe working life and so forth. And it just sort of took off from there. So eventually got started getting some paid work, started the, the girls program just started getting going within this country at that time. So we were just opening the, the local excellence uh, center of excellences. Um, one of them was a crew and they, they obviously needed coaches. So I went down there got some work there with them again just part-time few hours in the week uh, and then I think it was around this time that I decided to to have a go in terms of career-wise at it so I gave up my main job at the time and went back to university uh, so that was early 30s uh, I got a degree in sports coaching um, and then just had to work nights alongside that just obviously I, I, I had a family had a mortgage to pay um, and that's just something I decided to go for and at the end of the three years with degree I, I realized that maybe coaching might not give me the full-time employment that I needed in terms of of money and security so I did a, a year's teaching uh, qualification as well uh, and then luckily at the end of that where I did that qualification at the college that that particular college was recruiting the following year and obviously they'd seen me in my placement and so forth they were quite happy with me so they, they offered me uh, a full-time job in terms of uh, teaching within an FE college. So I uh, got that. 
And then while all that was going on, I'd got some work with Manchester United doing the soccer school stuff. We used to do like residential camps over the summer and they ended up travelling around the world. Luckily, again, doing different events for Manchester United. I'd left crew and gone to Wigan, working in the boys' academy, managed to get an opportunity there, so I did a couple of seasons there. Miss working in the girls' programme, if, if I was honest, so I went and did some work at Stoke, in their girls' programme. And then four or five years later, there's an opportunity where I am now at a university called UCFB, which I'll talk about a little bit more later on. So I managed to get a, a role there, but that was that's in Manchester, so travelling to, to, to Stoke was just uh, not feasible. So, uh, again, I was lucky, right time, right place. Some jobs came up at Man City within their girls' programme at that time. So I managed to get a role there. and did, So I've been at UCFB now just over five years. was at Man City for about four or five years. Just left there last season just to take on a new role. I'm over at Chester now working in their boys' programme, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later. And then again, while all that was going on, I was lucky enough just to just get a role with the FA. So I did some mentoring with the FA, and I'm, I'm a, uh, I was a, an FA tutor now, coach developer, but I've just changed the title. So I've delivered the UA for C licenses uh, in terms of my coach development. And that's probably the biggest bit for me because I just remember my journey at the time when I started my FA level one. You look at these people delivering the courses and their expertise and so forth, you never think. 10 years down the line or whatever it is, you'd, you'd be on the other side of the of the tables, as they say. So that, that was a real, that was a real, I would say proud moment, but like an achievement for me just to think, you know, I, I thought I'd have a go at it and I'm not doing all this. So yeah, it was really good. So yeah, where I'm at now uh, is UCFB, uh, uh, which is a university where I teach their full-time job work at Chester, which I look after a junior section. So all the age groups up to under 14, I oversee that for the boys. Coach developer with the FA. I mean, obviously, I've just got a couple of, I uh, just had book published last year and I've got another one coming out literally uh, uh, any day now. And it's getting released. So that's where I'm at. Oh, no, fantastic. I mean, I'd like to, to have that conversation, I think, because I think it gives the rest of the conversation and kind of a little bit of context uh, for people kind of listening. You've got a few experiences similar to myself in terms of girls, talent centres. Uh, I'm also an FE lecturer, uh, but obviously, you've kind of took that next step if you like working within a university setting so i was interested to hear a little bit about you know ucfb um and the courses and, and maybe what that looks like um because i guess it's almost coaching from a from an academic point of view um so i'd be really kind of interested yeah, yeah. To, to hear a bit more about that and um yeah your experience within that really yeah so um got two campuses uh, so we've got one based down in london which is predominantly in the wembley area uh, and then where i work is in manchester so again predominantly around the etihad campus so specific football degrees so we do a range of them so it might be football business football marketing media side that type of stuff uh, but the side that i'm in is obviously on the coaching side so we do two or three coaching degrees um i'm the program leader for the football coaching and management course. So we look at modules, specific coaching modules and the other modules that are around management side, which is around leadership and, and that type of stuff. So we have to be an actual football manager in the game rather than in, on the coaching side. Um, so I look after the programme, but I mean, I teach mainly on the coaching modules. So that they are basically a theory side and a practical side. So we usually, usually have around about four hours of contact time per module. Uh, with the students so on the coaching ones we usually do around about two hours inside so 
classroom based so it can sometimes be like a traditional uh, university where it's a lecture and, and we're just obviously giving information to the students or we might turn it into more of a workshop or a seminar where they're taking more of a lead so we can we can be quite flexible with that in terms of our delivery style and then usually what will then happen is they once we've done that we'll go out and do two hours on the pitch as well or it's flipped for some groups it's flipped we do two hours on the pitch and two hours on the inside in the classroom so it's yeah it, it's really trying to link the theory side so we talk a lot about the theory side in terms of the classroom side in terms of maybe how uh, people prefer to learn in terms of what they need to learn at different particular ages and so forth it gets a little bit more advanced as the program goes on and again to the second and third years we look at the tactics and the strategies within the game and so forth and what is the game of football in terms of the invasion game side and so forth so we look across all of that and then we try and make them show that this is what it actually looks like out on the pitch. Um, so it's just usually the tiny little details that people don't always see on the coaching side in terms of what we just spoke about. This is what it looks like now. So this just within five minutes of the actual session, it may only be within that actual five minutes, but let's see what it now looks like in terms of how we might deliver this part of the practice and so forth. So it's, it's looking at that type of stuff. And then the student, because it is a degree, so they, they, they get assessed practically in terms of delivering in sessions. But they also get, obviously, um, assessed in terms of academic work, in terms of producing a report uh, or an essay um, or a, a rationale or reflection, whatever it may be, in terms of they have to go down the route of, of the research side and so forth. But hopefully it gives them, like I said, an understanding of, of that theory and how it looks like. And I think the way it's going, I think more and more, it's not an actual requirement at the moment to work in, in a football club, but I, I wouldn't be surprised within three, four years where a lot of clubs will put it down, maybe not necessarily as an essential, but as desirable, definitely, that you, you need to have some sort of degree in terms of coaching. Because uh, basically, as, as you know yourself, it, coaching is heavily linked to teaching at the end of the day. Yeah. You, you just you teach them the game right. of football rather than a a maths lesson or an English lesson. So you need to understand how how people learn and so forth. So um, especially with the full-time jobs, especially like in the, your Cat One academies, you know, most of the time, I think they will for each other degree, uh, not just your, your FA qualifications. Hmm. How do you find that that maybe that translates? So if you think about like the old level ones and twos that you and I and a lot of other people would have done, it was very much the theory, you know, see the game, see the small side games, stretch and challenge, whatever. How do you find the, the students deal with that transition of taking the stuff from the lecture theatre and that theory out onto the pitch and, and putting it into practice? Yeah, I'd say it's difficult for them. Again, it's challenging. Uh, and again, we, we, we're not shy in saying that, especially because it's a degree. So the expectations are in terms of educational levels that, that they're up. So you're at levels four, five, and six in terms of that uh, educational uh, standard. Um, yeah, as you know, again, most people know, the only way you can really learn it and practice it is, is time on the pitch. And obviously we, we're limited the amount of time that we can do that. So the challenge for us, first of all, is how much we deliver and how much they deliver. So we have to get that right, especially with the courses. We usually get an intake of around about 90 students on a first year programme. So we usually have to split them into two when we're out on the pitch. So even then, you've probably got about 40 students out on the pitch. So to then get through them all and get them to have a chance to deliver, it is challenging. Uh, so we have to get that balance right. And obviously, the first time you do it, you're not necessarily going to see it or really understand it. So it, it, it's getting to, to really 
really understand the need for them to, to, to work outside of the university to go get some local experience. So we have lots of links with local grassroots clubs. Uh, we have links with Manchester FA and so forth. So we're constantly making them aware of opportunities where they can go and do some coaching. And it's that understanding again of not just going and getting one team and working with, with them throughout the season, go work with different age groups, different genders, different levels of ability and so forth, and really understand how it, it works in different ways, in different environments and so forth. It's one of the key messages we give, like on open days and when the first years arrive on the first day, coaching is not easy. Everyone likes the look of it and it looks great, but you don't realise the challenges that you face until you actually go and do it. It is extremely difficult. It is extremely difficult. And I think sometimes, you know, obviously I do a little bit of work with the FA. When we we talk about the, the, the game being the teacher and, and it's great to put them in these environments and let them work it out for themselves, which is fantastic. And I fully support that. It's you don't get enough support, I don't think, as a coach to realise what your actually your role is during that time in terms of just making small tweaks to the practices or recognising right time to actually go in and do a little bit of coaching because we can't just let him constantly work it out. It's again, I always refer it back to teaching again, like if you just if you put, if you put a maths lesson on and just told the students to go work out the maths problems constantly on their own all the time and no support from a teacher, they, they wouldn't be able to do it. Or at some stage, you would need some help from a teacher to yeah. go in and say, this is the mistake you've made. You look back on it and you need to do this. And next time, if not, they're going to keep making the same mistakes constantly. Yeah. So it, it's recognising your role and recognising when to step in and when to support them and when to step away and actually let them work. It, it, it's complicated. It, it looks quite simplistic if you're watching it from the sidelines. Um, and obviously, especially when... You've got things like Monday Night Football on Sky and so forth, where we're just talking constantly. And everyone go, yeah, I can talk about it. And I can talk about the press. And they should go and press. Well, go and teach them how to press then. <laughs> that, that's the difficult part. The, the, the details you don't see around it, it it's all that. And I, I think that's probably the biggest challenge we face in terms of students coming in, maybe thinking it's going to be a little bit easier than than. than what it is and and the role of a coach is a lot more complicated and, and challenging than, than they maybe think it is so. yeah I mean definitely yeah I mean you've got like a foot in both camps in terms of still working with players but then working with coaches both as an FA coach developer and through, through the university so how, how do you see see that in terms of I guess I'd say coaching coaches how, how do you find that side of things and and I guess either the similarities or the difference between then coaching players or working with players yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities. We, we, again, it's probably one of the key messages I, I get across to them in terms of how you deal with coaches in a coach education setting should be very similar in terms of how you how you deal with players. You have to let them have a go at it and you'll have to let them run with it in terms of they've got to learn themselves in terms of mistakes. But I, I look at it at some stages where if, if they say, for instance, they're delivering a session, and I can see that if it continues the way it is and they don't recognise it, it, it's almost not, not a wasted session, but it's just going to have a massive impact on whatever they do for the remaining 50 minutes in that session. Yeah. So it's one of those times, again, where you just have to wait for them and give them an opportunity to try and see if they spot it themselves and work it out themselves. Mm -hmm. And if not, you, you may just need to step in and go, look, this part of the session is killing you here. Mm -hmm. This part, this task that you've set the players or this part of the the area that you set out, the size of it or the shape of it or the starting positions of the player, whatever it may be, if you just change that, 
then your whole session is going to completely change in terms of the outcomes you get from it. Yeah. And it's the, so it's the same when you go with the players, isn't it, in terms of so they keep doing something in terms of how they receive it on their first touch or whatever it may be. You've got to give them a little bit of time to work out that that touch is, is not right. But after a while, yeah. they keep doing it. I've got to go in here and, and tell them. Because if not, they can't go and do the rest of what you want to do in terms of the dribbling bit or whatever it maybe is. So I think it's the key bit. And it's, again, I'll hold my hands up. I'm sure everyone else will. You're never going to get it spot on and right. You're never going to go in at the right time. But it's getting as close to it as you possibly can to recognise I need to go in and do it. And again, we say like afterwards as well, if, you, if, you, if you're reflecting on it, again, it's no point me just giving information to the coach. Like I won't just go and give information to a player. You know, we, we use Q&A strategies as we would in coach education as we would with players. So how do you think the session went? How, how do you think your performance went? What would you do differently next time? Those types of things. And again, you sort of sometimes just guide them to, the, to, to where we need to go. Because again, sometimes when they're reflecting, it's the same with the players. We can't just keep asking questions. Again, they might just you keep asking them because they don't actually know the answer. So yeah, yeah. there's no point just eventually they'll stumble across it, maybe. But if not, sometimes you do you do. They just need to be they need to be told and coaches need to be told sometimes and players need to be told. It again it goes to that give them enough opportunity to to, to work it out themselves or to, to at least give them the opportunity to to provide the answer before you give it to them. Um so again that that's that's just practice and like I say, you never again, you'll never get it right, but it's it, it, it's it's very similar in terms of players and coaches, I find. Yeah, I guess it's, it's a striking a balance, isn't it, between yeah. giving giving them long enough to to try and work it out, but then when when does too long become too long? Too long, yeah. Yeah, and again, same, again with coaches and with players, there's, there's just, in terms of where they're at in terms of a journey, some players will be further along, but so we we sit constantly with students coming in. Some, some are further along in terms of their coaching journey, whether it's just down to previous experience, amount of time they spent on the pitch. So again, it's recognising what specifically does that coach need or that student need and what particularly does that player need in terms of the rest of the team and so forth. So that's, again, you have to look at the individual side and, and deem where they're at. And then you can, you can challenge them. So in terms of like, when we do that Q&A, we can do a snowballing effect in terms of, right, they give you the answer so that they know what they should have done. So we might then go to the why bit. So so you know what you should have done, i.e. you should have received on your back foot or, or whatever it is. So why should you have done that? So again, as you would with the player there, you do it with the coach. So you recognise, I saw that you changed the space, but why did you change it? Because sometimes they might change the space, make it bigger, but they might have actually done it for the wrong reason. If that makes sense, yeah, they might have seen yeah, yeah. something and that wasn't the actual reason why they should have actually changed the space. So again, it's digging a little bit deeper down into it to find out specifically what it is that, that they were doing and the thought process behind it. Because um, especially with coach education, again, probably again with players, sometimes it's if they can justify why we do stuff, because yeah. we don't know why we did that, and they might see they might be looking two, three steps ahead. And as, as a player might be looking two, three steps ahead, you need to find out behind the why behind things and what's going through their head at the time. And you might go, mm, fair enough, I can see, yeah, that's a good point. That's so go on and have another go at doing that and, and let's see what, what happens next time. Rather than, again, telling them what to do, maybe becoming a bit of a robotic in terms of playing and coaching. Yeah, I think that why, that why is really important. I think I, I had a really good um, tutor for my, for my B licence who, who was constantly questioning me on the on the why and so sometimes i felt a bit like oh like what, i've done something wrong but he just wanted he just wanted to know like you know and i'd, I'd, I'd give my explanation he'd be like 
great, cool, fine. Just just wanted to check that there was a reason. I guess I work in an environment as well with players where the players want to know why. So I guess if I don't know my why, I, I you know that that that's challenging sometimes when I get that question from my players. But why do you want me to do that? Why? And if I don't know, I'm going to get caught short. I think it's really important that we have that and, and coaches have that understanding of why we do certain things. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah absolutely. Yeah, it, it's getting to really, if sometimes it's there when you give them the why because they might not know it as well. A light ball moment goes off with them as well where, again, where it's coach or playing, say, this is what I want you to do. Look, look what happens now when you go and do that. Look, look what's opened up for you in terms of just by changing that that slight action that you did previously into this action, yeah. look what it does to the opposition or look what it does to your session, whichever way it may be around. I think, yeah, why is, why is huge? So, yeah, that's a really good point. Excellent, cool. So, I mean, you mentioned as well, another role you've got at the minute is, uh, is at Chester, um, with the academy there, and you you oversee uh, right from under nines, foundation phrase, through to, to under 14s. And again, I've, I've worked across those age groups as well. So I've got some of my own thoughts, but I'd like to get some of, some of yours around where those um, those phases differ, you know, where where they're similar, but particularly in terms of how how you either teach or coach or how the how the players learn. Yeah, um, I think first of all, I'll probably start off with, and I say this to the coaches a lot, especially ones uh, within that youth development phase. In terms of sometimes it's not that much different to the foundation phase, and I think because at the end of the day, the kids still. And I think we forget about that. And I yeah, think they're yeah. still and they've still got a long way to go in terms of the journey before they get to the to the end point in terms of maybe the development stage and, and the mm-hmm. professional part in terms of going and winning games. I really sorry so for instance, there, mate, because I just some of the parts in my head. I think I think as soon as we sometimes see that, or sometimes we see it switch that eleven v eleven, even at 13, 14, like you say, they're still children. So yeah. we see it change from seven to nine to 11, but ultimately this, this it's not the adult game yet, even at 11 v 11. I think sometimes there can be a race to that, can't there? 100%, 100 So like, so like that race thing, it's like one of the big things that I say to coaches or to opposition teams, if we're coming towards April, May time, and they're, they're due to play nine v nine next season, they're going, so we play nine v nine ready for next season. I'm like, well, no. They're still in the 77 part of the game, so let them play 77. I build 99 in September when the new season starts, but don't we need to practice? And you're like, well, they can practice, they're going to have two years of it. I said, because if not, you're taking away two months of, of them playing 77, and they only get two years of doing mm-hmm. that at the moment, so it's not long enough. I mean, your key message to say to the coaches, especially in that youth development phase, that there's a, there's a tendency to jump to, to big number practices straight away. So, like in the foundation phase, we do a lot of one v one and two v two stuff, uh, and then then maybe a little bit of bigger picture where they're up like a, what we call like a squad practice towards maybe the end of the session for the last thirty minutes or something like that. Whereas if I then go and jump over to like an under twelve or under fourteen session, they're near enough going straight into squad practices, and we'll do squad practices for near enough the whole session. And a key set to the coaches that that. The players aren't always ready for that. And in terms of if you look at you look at what's happening in that squad practice, the the, the errors or the mistakes or the parts of the game that, that that an individual player is doing demonstrates to me that they need to go and do some smaller number stuff. So it's getting to coaches recognised just because you're going to nine aside or eleven aside doesn't mean you still can't do one v ones and two v twos with them because that basis is still needed. So even if you're doing playing out from the back, how they receive it. 
and play it onto the teammates, like a centre-back across to a full-back or whatever it may be. Go and do a practice where you're isolating that 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 motion of a centre-back to a full-back motion. Because they get a lot more repetition of doing it and there's a lot more onus on them because there's only two, three, four players within the practice. Once they've done that, then go and start building the numbers up within the practice. So I think, first of all, it's that recognition, uh, sorry, that understanding in terms of what, what should happen between the different phases and the different age groups. And there isn't that much difference in terms of that. Um, but then, obviously, there are, again, at the end of the day, there are different elements of their development in terms of physical development, mental development, uh, technical development, and so forth. So we will start to build it and it will start to look a little bit differently. I think the bigger... I think the biggest challenge is probably that 7v7 to 9v9 thing for me. I think that's the hardest challenge that the players get. Mm-hmm. 7v7 sort of like basically, yeah, you're in a position, but it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, my defenders, if you are going to attack, you're going to attack. Again, once we've lost the ball, all six outfield players need to go and defend. You know, it's part, again, because there's only, there's only so many in the pitch, we all need to be part of that. And the same when we're attacking, you all need to be part of it. So it's sort of not necessarily a free-for-all, but basically the position's not, you know, just because you're classified as a defender, you're not a defender, you're a player on the pitch. Mm. Whereas if you, once you go to nine, I think there is more, it's not necessarily just because like of offside comes in, but there is a little bit more structure to it in terms of maybe recognising if if one of my mates as a defender is going up, then maybe we, not all of us can go maybe to stick. We play with like a number six quite a lot in terms of that, that central midfielder who sits in front of the back foot. So it's quite key to how we play. So that's a key role they have to understand in terms of always being the link with, off the defenders. And then also if the midfielder or attacker's got it, they need to be the, the link if it needs to come back so we can switch it. So there's quite a lot of responsibility in that role and it's key to how we play, whereas they've never had that when it comes to, to 7v7. Hmm. So in terms of your coaching, there has to be a little bit more tactical awareness around roles and so forth I find at 9v9 but once you go for that that 9v9 to 11v11 I think that's probably a little bit more straightforward because you, you just you, those two plays who you're now introducing don't make that much more of a difference to, in terms of how you played at 9v9 and 11v11 so it's a little bit more easier um, but probably with the 11v the biggest change probably is probably the physical element of the game because foundation phase in particular it's for us it's all abcs so yeah. agility balance coordination speed lots of tag games lots of fun one v ones lots of keeping the ball away from someone and, and lots of transitioning stuff so if i lose it just go and get it back and all that type of stuff whereas now once the lads are going into under 14 under 13 they're going through puberty and so forth we've probably done not everything that we can do but the the, the main work of those abcs has happened and we can't do too much more with it now. That they're either they've, they've got it or they haven't at that stage. It's just tweaking it. So then it goes into a little bit more around the the, the power and speed and and, and uh, the strength work that we might start to do with them, and, and how you can then incorporate that within the actual sessions with a ball as much as we possibly can. Uh, again, it's a little bit easier with with the with the uh, foundation phase to do that where it's a little bit more challenging. Sometimes we may have to spend a little bit of time without the ball just to develop certain aspects of the physical side. Um, so that's key again, getting that balance right for me. Um, but key things like terminology, 
how we communicate. I don't think there should be any difference. We should we should use words that they understand and common words that they recognise. So whatever happens at under nines when he gets under fourteens, the same sort of words are being used across the coaches and so forth. Yeah, I think that should one hundred percent happen so they, they understand it and it's simplistic for them to do that. Um, again, information across visual stuff should be done constantly for them in terms of uh, audio as well and kinesthetic type of stuff in terms of in terms of the learning. Amount of ball time is again this should be near enough the same and so forth. We won't do we won't we say for instance we say to the players under fourteens if we come off the pitch and lose two nil and both goals have come from corners we'll take that as a nil nil because we don't we don't look at corners and free kicks or anything like that it's something you can do in the 17 18 years of age it's still very much long term development none of it's driven in terms of results or anything like that we still get equal playing time uh, under 14s in terms of when when it's game day they rotate positions still um the only difference is probably like at seven aside sorry they play every position Whereas once you get to under 14, they're probably going to play two or three different positions. So, for instance, they may play centre-back and then that centre-midfield type of role. They may play uh, a wide position and then a fourth central position forward going and so forth. So they'll probably play two or three positions that are linked a little bit closer because we'll have a more of an understanding, I think, at that age where they're probably going to go towards when they get older. But again, we won't pigeonhole them and say, right, you are a number nine, and that's you're just going to play that for the whole season. We won't do that. Uh, but like I say, seven aside, there's room around everywhere so you can play every single position. So, so yeah, I don't think there's huge amounts of differences, just tiny little details and tweaks along those lines. Cool, uh, yeah, excellent. I mean, uh, so you're also you're, you're a coach, coach developer, but you're also a, a published author. So, I know you've got a couple of books, a couple of books out. So, the, the intelligent soccer coach. Uh, and essential practices for player development. I obviously don't give too much away because you, you still want people to go out and, and buy the books. But um, if you could maybe just give us a bit of a, a, a lowdown of what we can expect to find in there, what people might could expect to, to read. Yeah, so the first book was the Intelligent Soccer Coach. So that came out last year. So it's been out just, just about a year now. Um, um, so the, the three main aspects around the book is understanding yourself, and your role as a coach, understanding the game of football and then understanding the players. So it's quite it's, it's simplistic as it sounds. It's it's basically, if you look at the game, first of all, it's understanding what football is in terms of that invasion game and recognising certain aspects of the game that make it football, if that makes sense. So yeah. as it's an invasion game, there's direction, there's equal numbers in terms of players and, and two teams. There's a scoring system. Um, so it, it's recognising that and then football's different to other invasion games because it has goals uh, and there's certain rules within football that, that obviously apply but don't happen in say like rugby or hockey or netball that are all invasion games. So it's recognising those key ingredients of the game of football and then trying to make sure that when we put on a session or practice, those key elements or as many of them occur within your practices as possible. So where we, So for instance... I'm not a huge fan. It's quite controversial because most people are a lot of like a rondo. So I, I use it as a warm-up activity and so forth, but I won't use it as a practice sure. because especially when you're out of possession, the key aspect is that you defend what's behind you in terms of the goal, you protect the goal. Whereas if it's a rondo, the ball's constantly going, being moved around without actually progression to go forward. So it's difficult to get the key 
uh, elements defending within a rondo, uh, or even it, the, the key purpose of possession in football is to progress up the pitch in terms of getting closer to the opposition's goal before you try and penetrate and create goal-scoring opportunities. So again, it's limited within, say, like a rondo where you might get that. So it's looking at that. And then the other key bit around practices, I have a, a big belief around before and after. So recognising what happens before and what happens after. So if your practice is on dribbling, don't just look at the dribbling aspect. Look at what happens just before the dribble and look what happens after the dribble. So we always use that example of that 1v1 dribbling practice where a defender passes it to the attacker and then the attacker then has to dribble past the defender and stop it on the line. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of saying don't, don't try and add to it and make it more like the game of football. So first of all, the defender won't pass the attacker. And it wouldn't come from that direction where someone stood directly in front of you and then passes the ball to you. Yeah. It would likely come from, uh, so maybe it might be, you might be a winger, so you might come from a midfielder. So you need a server to pass the ball in because then the defender can recognise off that when to go and press and so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah. You start possessing, defender can change, yeah. So, and how you receive the ball for the dribble, for your touch. So get look at that. Then what happens when you get past the defender? I don't ever see in a game of football the attacker then stops the ball on a line and stops the ball dead. They go and do something afterwards. So if you do beat defender, have an extra task afterwards. So it might just be a, a short pass into a, a gate or it might be a shot on goal or whatever it may be, but you need another task afterwards. Yeah. But then, so your main aspect still dribbling. You're still coaching what's happening in terms of how you dribble and how you get past the defender. But there's just that be just considered the before and after uh, action of it. So there's loads of stuff around that. And then the other two bits in terms of understanding you, it goes back to recognising observation as a coach, what you bring to coaching from your backgrounds and making sure you recognise what you're good at and what your role is while the sessions are going on. So we talked about before about that observation stuff. And then the other bit is obviously just recognising that the most people work with kids. So they are kids and therefore you've got to accept that they will act like kids. So don't be surprised if, if you put them in a queue, they start messing about because they're bored. So kids want to play. So they, if you look at what they do out in their own time, they play computer games, they go out and play with their mates and so forth. They want to play. So put them in an environment where they can play. They need freedom to go and make choices. So don't put them in a practice where you tell them to pass from here to that cone, then make a run to that cone and do that. They don't want to do that. They want to work out themselves how to get from A to B. They want to be able to go and make their own decisions and be creative, and that's the game of football. So that, that's the main aspect of the book. I put a lot of practices in there in terms of giving examples of how it would look like when they get these key messages across. And then the purpose of it is hopefully then people read it, but then they can go back to it as in terms of a reminder of, of, of uh, in terms of if they need a bit of help or a practice idea or just a, a key message, just to refresh them about a key message in terms of coaching. So, yeah, that came out last year and got it's going well at the moment. It's got some really good feedback on Amazon and so forth, reviews. So uh, off of that, I decided to do another another one, which is quite um, important for me in terms of how I like to coach and so forth. So it's basically around the concept of, of 10 core practices. And the key message is we don't have to keep coming up with amazing practices every single week and designing new practices and we, we i think coaches always think you have to have something new the following week and yeah. something so they go looking on the internet and pulling out ideas which is fine i get that 
But the, my idea is these are the 10, and you should, if you, you could probably get away with these 10 for the whole season, just by changing the, the sessions ever so slightly. You can use it for dribbling one week, and then the following week you can use it again. But it's got a, it's now on passing, or it's now on shooting, or it's now on recovery runs for defenders. Sure. So for each 10 practices that are put in the book, I then do nine adaptations of it for a different topic. So those 10 practices then turn into 100 practices. Uh, and I show and we go through and we talk about the key parts of development in terms of what players need to develop around at younger ages. And then all the practices cover those different aspects. So, and then you can look at it and go, well, I sort of say, try and name them after certain players so, so the players recognise it. So it might be a Ronaldo practice, Rooney practice, I don't know, a Salah practice, whatever it is. So you tell the players, go play in the Salah practice and then they play in the Salah practice and then you just add something to it, which is basically a progression. And they go, and they go right, new tasks. So this time you're doing this instead of this. And they don't realise it, but then all of a sudden their, their focus has changed to passing or dribbling, whatever. So the key bit is ball rolling time increases massively because the kids aren't trying to, you're not trying to explain the practice every week yeah. going right this is what we're trying to do and this is what it they're not trying to work the practice out in terms of well can i i'm allowed to do this or can i do that you just tell them which practice it is they are ball rolling time within about five seconds and you're then just adding the little bit in while they're playing and then you just tell them the new rule and then if you do that you can you go for the salad practice you then may go into the rooney practice still the same focus on passing Again, right, we're finished with Salah, go play the Rooney practice. And again, we've just made a slight change to it. So the whole session's around passing. But it's free practices throughout the session that they know and recognise. So your ball rolling time just increases massively. Saves, obviously, planning and trying to come up with different stuff with coaches. Because, again, the other thing that it, quite often we're put on a practice and then it just doesn't work because we haven't done it before and we thought it looked good or it, it worked. And we've lost 20, 30 minutes of a session just trying to get, either get the practice or work or we just sort of go and this didn't work and we scrap it and then we go and do something else. So just trying to get, if we can get these practices right, it doesn't have to, again, coaches may come up their own as well. Once they've read the book, they might think, oh, I've got one that I like to use and I can adapt it. So a ten are there for them to use if they want to, but hopefully it inspires them to maybe come up with one or two of their own that they constantly use as well. And again, they can add that and then also they've got another another 20 practice or whatever it is so that, that yeah that's literally due out hopefully uh either this week or next week to release them yeah fantastic so, i mean yeah the books the books sound great so we're, we're getting towards the, the the end now so what i'd like to finish with is a little bit of a of a quick fire round so i've just got a few a few questions for you to kind of answer on on your feet for me so uh for you if you if you could try and condense it down what would be three fundamentals to successful teaching or coaching um, I think understand you learn, first of all. So understand in terms of where they're at in terms of their development, age, in terms of what they need and so forth, all those type of things. So that's a key one, understanding the learner and, and where they're at and what they need. So that's the first one. Second one is find out what they know, first of all, before you, you teach. So uh, if you look at it in terms of a coaching session, you might have four or five things that you want to get across in the session but let them play for a bit first because then it might be the first two things on your list that they already know or they can already do. So you can you can scrub that and then just concentrate on the other three. So that'd be the next bit. And then um, after that, in terms of just recognising as, as individuals. So again, whether it's in a classroom in terms of a lecture, whether it's uh, on, on the pitch with players, 
recognise them as individuals and, and what they need specifically in, in terms of what we help, need in support and what we need in terms of, of uh, help in terms of getting there, in terms of learning and so forth. So, yeah, they're probably the three for me. Excellent, cool. Um, so if, if, if I could take you back to, to Carl that was just starting out with his, with his son's uh, grassroots side, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself just starting out? Yeah. I'd always say, look, watch the game and, and whatever format they're playing at. So, for, so quite often when we go in, we quite often work with younger players when we start and some people stay with that and that's fantastic. I, I prefer the younger age groups. But then people will go and watch the 11v11 game and then they will go and try and teach or coach the 11v11 game with five, six, seven-year-olds. And what they play in terms of compared to the, the, the full format of the game is completely different. It's almost a different sport. So I, I, I was like that in terms of you'd see a warm-up, you go and watch a game, you see a warm-up, so you go do the same warm-up with your, with your, with your seven-year-olds. So you get them doing stretches and so forth and yeah. get them out of doing the old laps. And, and, and we just absolutely don't need it. We're telling them to press. We probably don't really understand ourselves what a press looked like or what's involved in it and so forth. So... Just recognise who it is specifically you are working with. And again, it goes down to age, experience of playing, ability and all that type of stuff and put on practices that are relevant for those group of players that you're working with. I think that is absolutely key. So usually, again, it's the one where, as I mentioned before, if you go and look for practices, you've got a great Barcelona use this. Well, yeah, Barcelona use that because they play for Barcelona and they can do practices like that. I can't expect Johnny or Julie, who are eight years and been playing for a year, to do those practices that someone who's a professional player and earning half a million quid a week can do. So, yeah, key for me is that one. Is just make sure you tailor your practices for your players. Dream. Uh, cool. Uh, and then finally, is there, is there anyone out there you recommend I, I look to try and speak to next or get on the podcast next? Uh, I think, again, on Twitter, I follow a lot of, of really good people and really good coaches that come across. I, I could list numbers of them. I could list numbers of people in terms of who I work with as well at the university who are great, and I'm constantly learning off. Uh, but I'd say probably that where I'd go to is maybe try and get a player on. and I'd, I'd probably try and get their perspective in terms of finding out what it is that they like in terms of, of, of a coach. So how what's the best way for them to learn and what's the best way for them to enjoy sessions and so forth. So maybe get a perspective from a player that I'd look at, I'd, I'd go down that route. Um, but if not, like I say, just play people at our place. The person I, I look to the most at the moment is someone called Jack Trainer. So he'd been, he's an FA educator for 30, 40 years. He was head of academy uh, for Bolton Wanderers and his time. He's just coming to the end of his journey. Uh, but he's, he's someone I look up to and I will sit and watch him all day long. So, again, the detail he goes into in terms of um, technical and tactical detail is really good. So, it'd be, it'd be either Jack or maybe get a player. Or, yeah. Cool. Carl, thank you so much. I appreciate you. appreciate you joining me today. It's been great. Some really good stuff in there. I'm sure people uh, will take some value from it. If not, I definitely have at least. So, uh, I really, really appreciate that. I wish you all the best. Um, and like I say, hopefully won't uh, be in touch at some point soon. Fantastic. Thank you. I really enjoyed it, mate. Thanks very much for having me on. Top man. See you later. Another thank you to Carl for joining me today. You can find Carl on Twitter at CarlWild75 and also be sure to take a look at his publications on Amazon. As ever, you can find the pod on Twitter at Podagogy Podcast. Thank you for listening and goodbye.